Validation. When you think about it, it's really part of human nature. As a child, we look to our parents and even our teachers to validate our accomplishments. We grow older, our coaches if we're an athlete, and of course, validation from our friends. As we enter the workforce, it's our peers and bosses. And today, this burning desire is being ignited by social media, where validation comes to strangers. We look at likes, like almost a pinball wizard looks at the score in his game. Validation is important in helping us define what we're good at, what matters to us. As a child, I didn't have a lot of money for organized sports, but it didn't stop me from being competitive and playing sandlot baseball or ball hockey. At school, I danced between validation from my teachers for studies well done and laughter from my classmates from disruption I shouldn't have done. But where I found my stride in life was when I started my entrepreneurial career, first producing parties for my friends, later selling radio advertising. I liked how my work could be validated by throwing a good party or helping a radio client find customers. And I liked that both came with the realities of no guarantees, but at the same time, no upside. Validation matters. I feel so privileged to have grown up in a community where my neighbors and school friends were from around the world, united by similar struggles and immigrant stories. Parents who moved from across the world to plant roots in an unknown land, working hard every day to provide for their families, often in jobs that they would never have imagined to be working in back in their home country. And it cultivated a sense of community where we all looked out for each other. My guest today is Summer Hack. Summer grew up in an underserved and underfunded community where the odds were stacked against her. High gun violence, racialization, and graduating high school was the exception, not the rule. Validation could simply be given to those who survive. But with Summer, she chose to thrive. She overcame the odds and more importantly, is investing so much of her time to help others in similar circumstances to accomplish what she is accomplishing. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Summer Hack has created a non-for-profit organization called Bridge TO Youth that provides free academic support, mentorship, career readiness opportunities, and financial aid to youth in underserved communities. In just three short years, Bridge TO Youth has expanded its program to the GTA and Hamilton regions, supporting over 300 youth with a team of over 150 volunteers. Summer Hack, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you, Tony. So, Summer, I want to begin with so many of my guests that have that have gone from this journey of ordinary to extraordinary, talk a lot about their family life, uh, the circumstances they were dealt with, and and the observations that they made. So, if I if I may, I'd like to take the interview there and tell me a little bit about your family and how you grew up, and tell me about the neighborhood you grew up in. Sure. So, I grew up in Jane and Weston community. It's an underserved community of Toronto. Uh, statistically, it's you know known for gun violence, gangs, uh, drugs, and lack of access to you know social resources. Uh, but for me, it was so much more than that, right? The neighborhood is very vibrant, filled with you know hardworking individuals and families from diverse backgrounds. So let me tell me a little bit about that because I don't read about that in the newspaper. I just get the bad stats, the gun violence. But I just listening to you with a smile. Take me back to those days and what what was it like for Summer to to meet all these diverse people and to realize that they're all making up a community. Honestly, it was beautiful. Uh, you know, these statistics really don't show that sweetness behind the community. Uh, really, 
you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, meet people from diverse backgrounds. Uh, you know, at lunch, I could probably, you know, visit my friend who was from St. Lucia, then go to another friend whose mom was from Vietnam, trying to force feed her food, uh, then go back home to my mom's feast after a long day at work. Uh, at the end of the day, while, you know, we were, where there were so many differences, we were still united uh, as a community, uh, looking out for each other. Everyone's struggling to get by. Some, many of them are learning how to speak English. Uh, but yet there was that cultivation of community and belonging. So is this a lesson for all of Canada? I see Canadians divided east versus west and, you know, left versus right. But in your community, even though they were just working hard to survive and surrounded by a lot of uncertainty, this connection's there. So how do we take what you had and find a way to bottle that and bring it to Canada? Because to me, that's what you describe is a magical place to be. A hundred percent. Like, I think what we're trying to do at Bridge TO and things I've just seen as growing up, I think it's easy to say as an adult and looking back that, yeah, statistically, you know, we beat the odds. But when you're living in it, you just see friendly neighbors, people that are trying to get by, work hard. You don't know what else is out there, right? Was there probably more opportunities? For sure. But the sense of community you have that you're working together for a common goal is something that I feel like as a society, we can totally improve on. We're going to get to Bridge Teal in a minute. But one of the things you're describing, though, is a lot of people trying to find their way. And yet, very often, successful people have found a mentor, a navigator that's figured it out before. If you didn't have that, because everybody's kind of just arriving and just part of it, where do you find that kind of compass to point you in the right way versus maybe someone that's off the, the wrong path kind of encouraging you to go that way? Honestly, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. That's the struggle. That's the struggle that these communities are living through each and every day. They don't have that privilege and opportunity to you know, find a mentor that's gone through it before. So as a community, we have to decide, okay, how are we going to do this together? Because we don't have those same resources. The other thing I wanted to ask you is growing up, coming to Canada and a Muslim, and I don't want to do this in any sense of racial profiling, but I'm always interested when I talk to people, how do they view Canada and how did you feel Canada viewed you? You know what? It's, it's interesting. So, you know, I was born and raised in Canada, right? But I am a millennial Muslim. So what does that really mean? To me, that means 9-11 really launched a, a change, right? A search for our identity, whether we were ready for that or not, right? Like, I was a kid. I was a kid when that happened. And like many of my peers, you know, it was, it was probably the same story. Uh, we were surrounded by whiteboards and our immediate understanding of the future was in the hands of our teachers. Uh, ultimately, I think we had to undergo, you know, that's the same adolescent process of defining ourselves while a massive event really prompted everyone else to try to define us at the same time. And how do you come to terms with that? Mohamed Faki, who was on our uh, on my show, wonderful individual, happened to be in uh, Italy at the time. And, you know, they were just immediately chastising him for being a Muslim and basically uh, painting everybody a terrorist. And he stood up to them and said, how wrong you are. But how do you overcome that immediate stereotype and the fact that the world wants to be angry that's something you had no part of, but suddenly you're you're painted with. Honestly, for me, I think I responded to the Islamophobic rhetoric by 
embracing my religion and representing it to the best of my abilities. So really for me, it's, I am going to defy every misconception someone has about what Muslim woman is, right? So as a kid, that meant competing in sports, wearing the hijab, you know, trying to excel in my studies, or now to this date, working really hard every day in my career at RBC or through BitchTO, helping those who need it most. But at the end of the day, all I'm trying to do is push myself to represent how Islam, you know, gives a high status to women. It spreads peace. You know, it asks us to care for our neighbors and community and it strives for excellence in everything. It's so wonderful. And, you're, and it, I hope you listen to Mohammed Fakir because he talks about the same thing. It's just talking about how beautiful the religion is and how people need to be understand it and embrace the values and principles of it. Thank you all for joining us and being here today to celebrate the Bridge TO first graduation ceremony. Uh, Bridge TO was a very simple idea of mine. I wanted to see, you know, the exceptional youth from the communities I was raised in succeed beyond high school. I want to congratulate the 19 graduates of the Bridge TO program. It's crazy to see that we're here right now. Through our screens, we're looking at our future doctors, lawyers, business leaders, teachers, journalists, and many more future leaders of the world. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Summer Hack. She grew up in an underserved and underfunded community, but she refuses to accept it that way. In fact, she calls it magical, giving her a, a different lens than we might have if we don't have that opportunity to be with around so much diversity. So I want to talk a little bit about Bridge TO Youth. It began with, you just seem to have an affinity for math. Where did that come from? Uh, you know what? Everyone asks me that. Truly, I think it's, it's something that I just enjoyed, right? I like tackling difficult problems, but it wasn't really that, you know, I have this passion for math. It was this idea that, you know, at the end of the day, on the Ontario curriculum only asks students to take math until grade 11. Grade 12 is optional. And you're essentially saying to a 16 year old, hey, you don't need to learn trig identities anymore. They're gonna take that decision, right? And what that really does is says, eliminates so many, probably the majority of STEM post-secondary programs. And really that changes the trajectory of their future, their family and their communities. What I'm curious is how did it come about that you started to tutor others and help others kind of get through that grade 11 math class and maybe even encourage them to go on to, to, to pursue a STEM career? Well, truly, you know, being raised in Jane and Weston and in similar neighborhoods across Toronto, you know, this passion comes from a place of seeing kids in my home community not having the resources or tools at their disposal, right? It doesn't guarantee graduating high school, so they can't even dream about going to post-secondary, right? I honestly also think that there's a misconception about low-income neighborhoods, you know, whether they're lazy or prone to violence, right? These youth from these communities are brilliant. And by no means should they be underestimated because of the postal code they grew up in. Dwight Matthews and Curtis Carmichael, two individuals that, I, that have come out of communities like yours and are dedicating their life to giving back because they're saying that's the hotbed of innovation and creativity. And these are people that are survived. So, but you go from kind of just tutoring some friends to decide to turn this into a non-for-profit. Talk about how it went from helping some people that really needed to pass a math exam to a big part of your life. How did that 
How did you cross that bridge? Well, that journey is something I still, you know, I'm completely in awe of how this even happened. Um, really, you know, I, I tutored about four kids after school, right? And that grew into 50, I think, in a matter of weeks, because I think word got out that there's a crazy lady teaching math. And they were just like, who is this? And why is she coming so consistently? Uh, I did that for about a year. And in that year, you know, I made beautiful relationships with these students. We were, you know, learning about each other's dreams, goals. I was driving them home. I was getting a chance to talk to their parents and really understanding, you know, the struggles that they're going through, but really trying to see what is their dream, right? How can I help them with that? So, you know, I decided enough is enough. I can't just do this on my own. I need to bring in others to, to make this real and really make an impact. So, you know, I decided to become an organization. I, I registered and incorporated Bridge TO Youth. Uh, and honestly, since that day, uh, I think it's just accelerated. Uh, Like-minded people, people that are passionate about this cause have supported me along the way. We've grown into an organization with over 150 volunteers and had an opportunity to partner with so many uh, large and institutions that Help give us all of these opportunities. So, Summer, you you go from four to 50 people in a month. Did you ever feel like you were an imposter? Or what am I doing in front of this class? And did you ever or even get pushback from the, the school system saying that's my job, not yours? Honestly, you know, imposter syndrome definitely exists. Um, and w- in the area that I was trying to attempt to work in, I've never been in the not-for-profit industry prior to this, right? Uh, this was just a passion project of mine. So, 100%. But the biggest thing that I was worried about was, please let me help them do better and not, you know, take them off track. I don't by any means want to put someone in a situation that they're going to be worse off because of, you know, perhaps taking on too much debt because of post-secondary education or, you know, pursuing something that really they struggle in and they don't want to continue doing so. So that I had to make sure I had to convince myself, no, what we're doing is is something that we should work towards together and it is going to do the greater good. But in terms of the education system, honestly, we're not here to replace them. Uh, We're here to add an additional support, right? At the end of the day, you know, out of school programming is statistically proven to help these youth from these communities, uh, whether that means for academic performance, you know, social and mental health, but they don't necessarily have access to it. So a program like Rich Teo Youth, which is absolutely free, uh, helps them get access to such opportunities that will, you know, they can transfer on into their family and cultivate into their community. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, Bridge Youth has officially been around for three years. Uh, I probably have been doing this for about five. <laughs> and so in those five years, if people approached you that took your class and said that was a life-changing experience or I, I realized I had uh, a talent or an ability that, that hadn't been validated before? Honestly, I would love for a kid to speak to me in that way. <laughs> but I think I, I usually get told that, wow, maybe math isn't too hard or maybe it's something interesting that I could potentially uh, look into. I think the most beautiful memories I have is when, you know, I might be at a busy day of work and I get a phone call and they're like, Summer, Summer, I just attempted this math problem and I figured it out, right? It's it's beautiful to see that, you know, they're taking it seriously and they choose to share that triumph with me, right? It's like you've developed a relationship where they want to share that success. And so where is Bridge TO Youth today? And where do you think it's going to be five years from now? 
So Bristol Youth today, after an entire pandemic, uh, is in a very interesting position. We are at a hybrid model. Uh, we are no longer just in the local uh, communities of Toronto. We've actually spread across the GTA and Hamilton regions. Uh, by being online, we were able to kind of reach out to students in various underserved communities uh, and kind of transfer our tutoring online remotely and being able to support them. I think it was so beautiful to see that our cause, yes, resonated with so many people, but the sense of community now that we have across the region, right? Uh, we've been able to partner with organizations like Roche Pharma, BMO, KPMG, Amazon, uh, year over year. And I think in five years from now, I would love to see this organization at a level that is supporting youth across the province. But be beyond that, all of our youth that have graduated and our alumni students coming back and supporting the future generations. An incredible pay it forward uh, dream that I, I just sense is going to happen. Summer, you hold a Bachelor of Mathematics degree specializing in financial analysis and risk management from the University of Waterloo. That's a pretty hefty degree. And from what I understand, just about anybody that graduates at that level, there's a lineup of people looking to hire you. For sure. Uh, it's definitely a competitive program. And it was something that I really definitely struggled with, not only just getting into the institution, but graduating. And what did you learn about yourself when you were there? Well, number one, you're not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> There's definitely a lot more. Uh, and really what set us apart was, you know, the, the amount of resources others had in comparison, right? I'm coming from the same walks of life that Bridge TOU students are. Uh, and I really realized firsthand right then and there that, you know, there are certain advantages that other students might have, whether that be financial aid or just resources at home that are going to help them, you know, accelerate in their careers and their academic success that I might have to work a, a little bit harder to achieve that same goal. Let's talk about that because, again, another core note you hear a lot is entitlement. And people that are entitled uh, very often take uh, a lot of their world for granted. It's a perfectly paved speedway. People that have lacked that entitlement very often go after things differently because they're a little hungrier. They have to be a bit more resourceful. If you had your choice going back to the University of Waterloo, would you have preferred to be in the camp that had all these advantages or would you prefer to have gone in the way you went in and had to figure things out? Honestly, I wouldn't change a thing, right? You know, at the end of the day, how I grew up, where I grew up, it's shaped me into who I am, right? I carry it like a badge of honor, right? At the end of the day, it's made me more resilient. It's made me more resourceful. It's made, given me that work ethic that I know I need to work harder to achieve those goals. Talking to you, and I, I, I mean this with all sincerity, I feel I'm going to vote for you one day. Do you have any political ambitions? Because you really are wise beyond your years and really focused at the, the positive side of society. Do you think politics is in your future? Um, not that I have ever thought about it. <laughs> um, I don't think I have, you know, that type of, I don't know, I don't even know how to say this in a nice way, uh, but I don't know if I have the ability to, to run a campaign and, and get those votes. I definitely love to see my community excel, but I think others can do that way better than me. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. When we come back, we'll talk about Summer's career, the impact she's having, and interesting enough, the awards she's won. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters. A big shout out to RBC who have long believed that diversity is not only the right thing to do, but also the smart thing to do. 
Their purpose of helping clients thrive and communities prosper is core to who they are as an organization. And it's something that can only be achieved when everyone has the opportunity to achieve their fullest potential and speak up for inclusion. Diversity matters to RBC. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. My guest is Summer Hack has created a non-for-profit organization called Bridge TL Youth that provides free academic support, mentorship, career readiness opportunities, and financial aid to youth in underserved communities. So you graduate. What did you do with your with your, this incredible degree? Well, I started my career at PC Financial Mastercard. I held various roles in fraud and credit strategy teams uh, where I really had to hone in on, you know, my coding abilities as well as my quantitative analytical skills that I learned from my degree. And then 2017, you make another shift and this time you join RBC. From what I understand, they're very happy about it because of the kind of the career you're having there. But why did you join RBC? Honestly, at that time, uh, you know, I was, you know, trying to explore where should I move into next? I had just done uh, quite a few years. And for a millennial, that's way too long to be at one company. Uh, And I was like, okay, it's time to make a move. Uh, This time, I found a really great opportunity. My hiring manager, you know, his personality actually really stuck out for me. He was excited. He was excited about the projects that, you know, we were going to work on. And it seemed like the right adventure. Uh, You know, really, if you look at my portfolio and my career, everything I've done is kind of build things from scratch, right? Whether that was at PC, whether that was at RBC Automotive Finance, I had the opportunity to build a team and build things that, you know, I got to own from end to end. You're so young to be given this responsibility. What advice can you give to others who come in and that opportunity exists nowadays? It doesn't have anything to do with gender or, or religion or age. It has everything to do with going after something. It starts with trusting your gut, right? You have to trust that you are capable of what is, you know, set out in front of you. Um, at the end of the day, you have to be your you know, biggest advocate. There will be lots of naysayers, trust me, right? You yourself will doubt your own abilities. But if you want to cultivate, you know, whether that's a successful career or a community that, you know, is fostering, you know, helping others, um, I think the best thing and the best advice I can have first and foremost is believe in yourself so others can believe in you. And so at RBC, if I have this right, you win the RBC Gold Performance Award 2018 and 2019 and 2020, a Global Citizen Award and a One Team Award. So that's quite accomplished. Did one stand out over the others? It's been a beautiful journey here at RBC, and I'm grateful for their recognition. You know, in COVID-19, in the year 2020, I was really, really happy to see my team get recognized with the One Team Award. But uh, if I'm being honest, the... RBC Global Citizen Award is probably the, the most special one to me. And not because of, you know, it's, it's a great honor and recognition. It was the application. Uh, my team went ahead and, and, and nominated me. And within it, there was these beautiful uh, testimonials from my students that, like I said, you know, teenagers are, will very, you know, far in between compliment you. So it's beautiful to see, you know, what they had felt about me and the work that we were doing at BridgeTO. How important is validation, do you believe, whether it's a non-for-profit, for-profit, or just within the company you keep, that people just take time once in a while 
to say that was a great job or you made me feel different or that made a difference? I think it's extremely important. Um, I think in this day and age, you know, recognition and, you know, really empowers others to continue to strive more for excellence. Uh, you know, I feel very strongly as a people leader that recognizing everyone for their strengths and especially the challenges that they overcome, right? Uh, that will cultivate a, a community of trust and will push others to perform better. And have you found as you've grown into this leadership role that there's a difference between how you inspire and motivate based on age? In other words, is that, you know, people that have come through the system and have expected validation and success a certain way and new people coming in, is there a difference or is that just, again, folklore that the media likes to uh, fuel? Honestly, in my experience, you know, I take people management really seriously. That means, you know, really learning about every individual person's capabilities, skills, challenges. And so with that, you have to learn how they want to be recognized. Not everybody wants a public recognition. Some people want it just privately uh, in terms of what they've just accomplished, right? So I think that is on the onus of the people manager. It's not necessarily something as homogenous as, you know, as a entire, you know, age group and how they want to be recognized. Your latest move in RBC is with RBC Ventures. What does RBC Ventures do? And in turn, what do you do within? For sure. So I am the head of data analytics at Mido for RBC Ventures, and I'm responsible for building a scalable data platform as it applies to benchmarking, data science, and predictive and prescriptive analytics to enable and scale business objectives. RBC Ventures is the corporate venture arm of RBC that helps build new ventures, acquires growing firms, and partners with organizations that share the same vision. Raise money smart kids with Mido, the money management app for kids and parents. Your kids get the independence they want, and you get the oversight you need. Your kids can earn, spend, and learn money basics using the Mido app and smart card. What makes Mido smart cards so smart? Your kids can safely spend their own money in-store and online up to the allowable limits and you can track their spending activity. You can react to your kid's spending activity with emojis. You can also- So tell me about Mido, and I'll give you, before you tell me, I was up north and my brother-in-law talked about Mido, the card that his daughter has that he puts money on. And I said, well, isn't that interesting? So tell me a little bit about what Mido does and is that the same platform that he's using with his, his daughters? Exactly that. Yeah. Mido is a money management app and smart cash card. So he's probably using that. Uh, we're essentially helping kids make their own earning and spending decisions while keeping, you know, parents involved, right? It's a parent and kid uh, are collaborators in the process. Kids get the independence to develop money spending habits. Parents get transparency and there's dialogue amongst both parties. So how important is it then to have that human element? Because I understand the technology, the card, your website talks about kids can learn, earn and spend, but it has to, it, it still takes some parenting time, doesn't it? You just don't sort of turn this over to the app. I mean, values like learning and earning and spending still needs to have that connection between the parent and the child. 100%, right? Like at the end of the day, financial literacy it needs to start young and it should be taught not only in the classroom, but at home, right? So 
this app is supposed to help parents. They, they're going to treat their kids like adults, uh, you know, give a good sense about what the real world is like. You know, the fact that they have to earn rather than get allowance, you know, makes them value money more. You know, it helps them differentiate between wants and needs and setting them up for success. So some might argue that this is just a, a simple way for RBC to target kids, get them to be your customers. How do you counter that argument? Well, at the end of the day, as a bank, you know, it's our job to provide our customers with a banking plan that works for them. And we believe Mido does this for just starting their, you know, for those who are just starting their earning years. So as an RBC company, we're naturally going to leverage the power of, you know, the number one bank in Canada to bring the most relevant financial planning and educational tools to a diversity of customers. So let's get back to Summer Hack in terms of your personal life. How do your parents view your success? Do they even understand what you do? Because when you describe your data analytics and stuff, my eyes were starting to roll. So just curious, do they know what you do? And, are, and are, do they have a real sense of the impact you're making at such a young age? Well, my parents are you know, extremely proud and, and hardworking uh, folks who immigrated to Canada many, many years ago. And, and you know, for them, they've always held education to a really high regard. Um, at the end of the day, they may not have had the chance to work in the, the fields that they studied. My, my father has a degree actually from Concordia. My mom, a, a, a master's in biochemistry from Karachi University in Pakistan. So they understand the value of education and they love the fact that, you know, number one, you know, you know their own family, their, their children are, you know, striving for success, but helping others, right, achieve the same. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Today, my guest is Summer Hack, who grew up in an underserved and underfunded community, but today is a rising star at RBC. What can we do as a country to make sure that that master's degree in biochemistry isn't squandered and actually can contribute to our Canadian economy. What's what's stopping us from realizing that these skills and experiences are transferable, that you can breathe life into them into Canada? You know what, that's a great question. And I'd love to, you know, you know, say that things have changed dramatically, but I know firsthand that I know, you know, immigrants today are still struggling uh, to transfer their education directly in Canada. I think it requires, you know, our country to understand and accept the skills that are, you know, acquired across the world. And how can we make sure they're at the same level of expertise that we believe to be, you know, the level required for this society? Uh, truthfully, it's a shame that we have so many overqualified folks working in industries that, you know, they shouldn't be in. Uh, the shortage that we're going to experience uh, could only be, you know, you know, we could we could move away from that if we were to just consider the skills that our community already has. So how does it make, and I, I, because you're firsthand and you're so open talking about the community you grew up in, talk to me about your family. How does your mom stay and your dad stay motivated and inspired knowing that they have such talent they move to a country like canada to give you an opportunity how do they rationalize their life with the life they're giving you because to me they must take such pride in what you're doing but such regret that they can't be doing what they're doing i don't know if it's regret right at the end of the day they they made a lot of sacrifices for for myself for my siblings 
um, to cultivate a life here. Those sacrifices, and I'm sure other parents can say the same, um, won't necessarily be truly regret. Yes, they might have missed opportunities to be in the careers that they studied in their home back in their country. But now, now that they see that what the roots that they have planted in this, you know, unknown land essentially uh, has now, you know, sprouted and now we're helping others and we're really creating, you know, this, you know, we're able to debunk some misconceptions about our communities, right? We're, we're helping others uh, foster, you know, success. That to them is obviously a sense of pride and success at the end of the day. And when they look at their children, uh, not just your parents, but other people within the community, as you're embracing, you know, the values of your generation and still holding on to the values that they, they gave you, are they okay with the fact that you're a very different person than you might have been if you grew up in their home country? Oh, for sure. If, if there's anything, I think they're extremely proud, right, to see what, you know, they have essentially planted here, right? Not just my family, but, you know, other immigrant uh, families have been able to create. Uh, Toronto is beautiful in that way, right? We are a, one of the most diverse cities that has been able to experience such a beautiful, uh, not just diversity of, of ethnicities, but diversity of thought. And that is what everyone is kind of going to experience for decades to come. What's in the future then? What do you see for yourself? As you said that you're, uh, you know, there's a bit of a tumbleweed in your generation. Where, where do you see you going next and doing and accomplishing? Really, for me, the, the focus right now is to scale uh, Bridge to Youth and, and see how we can create this organization to something that, you know, helps a broader community and something that could be a little bit more stable. Because uh, trust me, I have zero work-life balance. Um, and then beyond that, with my own career, uh, honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to helping Mido uh, build out this data infrastructure and help build out data-driven strategies. That's wonderful. So I always end my podcast with the three things that I've, I take away. And the first is you are a dreamer. And, and I don't mean this in a, a dreamer in the sense of naive or a dreamer in the sense of, you know, wishing upon a star. But a lot of people in the circumstances you grew up in would see the things that are wrong. You saw the things that were right. The magic of diversity. And I love what you talk about, you know, spring rolls from a Vietnamese mother and meeting somebody from St. Lucia. And you just, you took this all in. And, and it's, I think it's just terrific. And that dream then manifested in the sense of, paying it forward. And I love the fact that what started with four friends as a math uh, after school math tutoring grew to 50 and now is scaling through the GTA and, and Hamilton. I think that is wonderful. And the last thing is just the, the 9-11 shock, the immediate way society painted every Muslim. And you took it upon yourself to just say, I'm going to prove them wrong because I'm going to show them all the beauty of what being a Muslim is. I'm going to show them the beauty of being a Muslim woman. I'm going to show them what success means and resilience and paying it forward and spreading happiness and peace. For all of that, you're just an incredible human being. And I, I'm so delighted to uh, have chatted with you on uh, Chat That Matters. Well, thank you, Tony. I really appreciate it. Honestly, uh, you know, everything you just said, it, it really humbles me for you to say that. Um, at the end of the day, anything I'm doing, it, it's a team effort, right? It, there's just, just not me. Uh, there's a lot of people that support this and I'm really grateful and appreciate all of their efforts as well. Joining me now is Linda Talk. She's not only the branch manager of Grand Falls, Windsor, Newfoundland for RBC, she's been at her job for 50 years. She still has no plans to retire. Welcome, Linda. 
Good day and thank you very much. 50 years at a company is an amazing accomplishment. So I'm just curious, what brought you to RBC in the first place? And did you ever imagine spending a half a century at that company? It's so funny now when I reflect on it, because so many people have asked me that this last, I guess, week or a couple of weeks. I, I truly didn't think I could would ever have planned to stay 50 years. But as you know, time just got a way of going. And when I first came to the bank, um, I had planned to stay for basically one year. My my thoughts were I was planning to do nursing in the next year. But at that time, it was, wasn't was offered where I live, and I had to travel away to, um, to do the nursing. So I kind of wanted to reflect on if you know, I would take a part-time, like take a job for the summer. And I did with the bank. And then I often say, well, as we know, the rest is history. So banking must have changed so much over those 50 years. I mean, I remember banks closing at three o'clock and you needed to have a checking book and there was no ATMs, probably not even credit cards. So a lot of new technologies come along. How's that impacted your job? Certainly a lot of change over the years. But one thing I have to say for anyone starting out in their career, uh, change is something we all have to adapt. And if you, you really need to evolve with that, because if you don't accept the change, you won't fulfill your every day what you need to do in your role. But the changes I've seen are unbelievable. What's your favorite of the 50 years? I mean, what's kept you there? What gets you so excited to still be part of this business? I think truly from day one right till today present, I think just helping helping clients. And I like to feel that over the years, I treated every client I met very fairly that I might not have known what their occupation was when I first met them. I treated no one no differently. I was there to help the client and advise them in a way that I hope they would see and find valuable. Right now, I would say my staff, I still feel that way with wanting to help my staff every day. And in all my previous jobs was working with my peers very, um, you know, as a team and helping everyone every day when I came to work. So many people look forward to their retirement. But in this article I read, you have no concrete plans yet. So why is your passion fueled? More at work than what a lot of people are thinking about is the you know the garden or the golf game or taking up a new hobby. I always felt privileged that I had a job that I had evenings off, weekends off, and as someone would know, everything changes in a person's life. And uh, back probably twenty years ago, my husband had some you know some illnesses that were chronic and he's doing well today but it kind of turned me into the main person to be the the person who worked at that point and given the fact that i enjoyed my job i just continued and uh, felt uncomfortable with it and we got a balance with life he manages when i go home if he's got the dishwasher unpacked and a sandwich for me for my lunch and i do get to go home to lunch every day so that's kind of nice in a smaller town and uh, i kind of joke sometimes when i come back i say i'm really not ready because like you said he loves out in the garden but when i'm there i gotta be the one turning that hose off turning it on doing things for him so i kind of say hmm 
I'm nice. I like it here in my air-conditioned office today instead of 28 degrees of heat. <laughs> Linda, talk your passion, your energy, your playfulness with your voice and just your love of life. I'm so proud to uh, met you and uh, congratulations on 50 years at RBC and here's to the next 50. Well, thank you very much. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.